through six-week series starting today, and the series goes through the Apostles' Creed. Now, if you don't know what that is, long story short, the Apostles' Creed is a really, really old statement of faith that is attributed to the apostles themselves. Uh, we know that at least from about the 400s or 500s A.D., this, this creed or form of it was in use, giving a summary of the Christian faith. And legend has it, this is just legend unconfirmed, but legend has it that the original form of this creed was actually penned or penciled by the apostles themselves while they were all gathered around on the day of Pentecost, if you know when that is. But that's just legend. Uh, but what we're going to do today is dig into this a little bit as, as we dive into this series. Um, when it comes to the Apostles' Creed, first of all, just to acknowledge some awkwardness in the room, when you hear Apostles' Creed, when you hear a Nicene Creed, or if, if you're really good at your church terms, if you, if you are aware of the Athanasian Creed, um, there's different creeds that we have and different statements of faith. And for me, maybe for you, the first thing that comes to mind when you hear Apostles' Creed is you think, oh, that part of the service. The creed is that part of the service where we maybe we stand up, we speak these words together, and then we sit down and we move on. It's that part of the service. But just to be totally honest with you, as a child growing up in church, it was more like, oh, that part of the service. Really, we're just now getting to the Nicene Creed. That means we still have this much service to go. Could we please rush this up a little bit? I'm tired of being at church. I want to go play with my toys. I was, I was so young and childish back then. So immature. The problem was not with me, or I'm sorry, the problem was not with the creeds. The problem wasn't with the service. The problem is it's, it's this struggle to see, well, why is this important? And what value is there in having this prescribed creed that we say Sunday after Sunday after Sunday to the point where we just want to get through it? So what I hope is that today as we launch this series, you have a newfound or perhaps first-time appreciation for why these creeds exist and what value they hold today. Now, for part one, we're not going to get too far, but at the same time, we're going to get really far. What I mean is this. We're just going to start with two words which repeat themselves throughout the creed. Two words, I believe. And just to give you forewarning, I'm going to invite you to internally digest a question as you leave today. At the end of the sermon, I'm going to ask you the question, what do you believe? And you'll take that question out the doors, and you'll wrestle with that throughout the week. But before we get to that, maybe that's kind of the deep end of stuff. So I thought we'd start a little light when it comes to what we believe, what I believe. Now, there was this musical genius back in the 90s. His name was R. Kelly. And he, he gave us a wealth of 90s-esque material for music, the likes of which are only challenged by Brian Adams himself. I mean, those two, you get like the... the all the great hits from the 90s. And, and if you know um, R, R, what's his name? R. Kelly. If you know R. Kelly, what does he believe? Go ahead, say it. R. Kelly believes that he can fly. In fact, this is what he himself said. If I can see it, then I can do it. That's a great motto for your week. If I can see it, I can do it. If I just believe it, there's nothing to it. I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. He I don't know what that song was about. I th was it a love song? I think it was somehow connected with, with warm love feelings. But as I thought about that, I'm like, 
that's kind of a motto for the way we think as humans. If I believe it, I can do it. Believing something gives you great power because it takes you from a step of where you are to where you think you can be. With belief, there is power. But I know the crazy kind of church we have. I think that some of you as kids actually believed you could fly. I think if we went far enough, we could see some stories of maybe when you were younger, you grabbed a garbage bag and you went on the roof of, of, your, of your house and you thought you could just float around. Or maybe if you grew up with Mary Poppins, you grabbed an umbrella and you just jumped off the roof. Or you had those cardboard wings and you're like, I believe I can fly. And you jumped off that roof and your beliefs changed pretty quickly. Beliefs can empower you, and they are powerful things, but belief is only as good as what you believe in. Your belief is only as powerful as who or what you believe in. So what do you believe? And I'll tell you, that's an important question that you should have a good answer to. Because the other thing about belief is that whatever you believe shapes you. Whatever you believe shapes you. Um, Number one for today, first thing to take home with you this week, the beliefs that you hold on to will inevitably shape you. If you believe you can fly, you will get on the roof, and your leg may be misshapen by the end of the day, but your beliefs might change. Um, If you believe something, and if you hold on to that belief, it will inevitably shape who you are or how you live. And so you owe it to yourself to answer the question, what do I believe? This takes on a whole different level when we bring it into the realm of spiritual things. Because if you believe you're a sports fan or a a sports person, if if you believe you're a good runner, if if you believe you're good at a certain subject, if you believe you can do something, that'll propel you in, in a certain direction. But when it comes to who you believe God is, that will shape you more than anything else. Your belief of God shapes how you interact with people. It shapes how you view your purpose and your potential. And let's take it from the opposite perspective. Maybe someone says, well, I don't believe in a God. I, I don't know how you could believe that. Well, you know what? That belief shapes their life. It shapes their, ide- their uh, sense of purpose and identity and, and what they're supposed to do with their life. What you believe shapes who you are, especially when it comes to what you believe about God. So here's where we normally go with a message like this. When we talk about faith or belief, most of the time we go to the same place. We're pretty predictable like that. At least I am. Maybe Ben's a little bit more variety. But what we always do is we say, well, the resurrection of Jesus seals our faith. Like if he didn't rise from the dead, then we have no faith. We have no belief. And so that's usually where we go. That's a good, safe place to go. That's where the apostle Paul went when you asked him about the foundation of faith. We're not going to Paul today. We're going to take a leap into the Apostle Peter's life. He addresses the same thing. He was talking to people in the first century through a letter, uh, people who were going through a belief crisis. But instead of pointing to the events of the resurrection, we're going to see him point to a different event that happened, where, one where he invites you to find your belief uh, strengthened, firmed up, in even another place in Jesus' life. And so we're going to get to that event in just a little bit. So we're going to see Peter here as he deals with people in belief crisis, how to navigate that and how to find a belief that's worth having. Here's what Peter said. He said, so I will always remind you of these things. And in this section in his letter, he's talking to Christians, basically saying, 
Don't forget that Jesus died for you to make you close with God. Honor him with your life. He's, ba- he's saying, I've just told you what I need to remind you of, and I'm going to keep doing it and doing it. I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. He's making them a promise. He says, as long as I'm around, as long as Peter's around, I will always do this one thing. I will always remind you of what you already know. That's my promise to you. There's just one problem with that. Peter did not have long to live when he wrote this letter. This would have been written in the early to mid-60s A.D., and this was a time when the apostle Peter was imprisoned and facing execution. Uh, 30 years prior, while while Peter was talking to Jesus one day, Jesus said, Peter, one day they're going to take you to a place you don't want to go, and they're going to stretch you out in a way you don't want to be stretched out implying the way that Peter would one day die. And Peter knew that day was coming, and it was coming soon because his death sentence had been made. For all he knew, this could be his last letter. He says, I'll always do what I can to remind you of what you already know. But then in verse 13, he acknowledges that he might not be around for much longer. He said, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tents of this body because... I know that I will soon be put, it, I will soon be put it, I can't read today. Because I know that I will soon put it aside, put my body aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Translation, I won't be here forever, but I want to do something to make sure to refresh your memory as long as I'm here. And here's where things divert from where I would have written this letter. You see, Peter's at this point in his life where he can say, I've done so much work. I've taught you so many things. I've encouraged people. I've helped build this New Testament church built on Jesus Christ alone. Remember me. Write songs about me. Name churches after me. Right? He could have come up with this big, long list of things. Please do all these things to remember me. But his dying wish, as he writes it in this letter, isn't to remember him. He said his purpose was simply to remind them of what Jesus had done for them. He goes on, verse 15. He said, I will make every effort to see that even after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Um, He's using a lot of language here that is kind of repetitive. Refresh your memory. Remind you. I want you to remember. He's, He's saying that what I have for you is nothing new. And the reason he does that is because his audience was being challenged. It was only the 60s AD, but already by that time, there was a lot of people, there were a lot of people going around challenging the fundamental truths that Peter and the other apostles had been telling people. There were what Peter and Paul call false prophets that were going out with this different idea of the good news of Jesus Christ. And it was diverting people's attention from Jesus somewhere else. Culture was changing. There was a new idea of what was good and what was bad. And people in the 60s AD, they were wrestling with, okay, well, what does our belief really mean? Things are changing, so what should we do? And if things changed in 30 years for them since Jesus left, I think it's safe to say things have changed in 2,000 years. A quick example, and if you're a Star Wars fan— you're going to love this or hate this. I'm not quite sure. You can tell me after the service. But the, the most recent, you know, 
Star Wars movies kind of prompted me to go back and watch the very first movie, which is episode four. Long story if you're not a Star Wars fan. But I watched the first movie, and as I was going through it, I was like, man, this is kind of awkward. Han Solo is totally inappropriate. The Me Too movement would be all over that these days. What he did to Princess Leia, how he talked to her, the innuendos he had, the physical contact, he would have been arrested. And I'll tell you what, if, if, if that movie came out again today and Harrison Ford was the same age, there would not be an Indiana Jones with him as the main lead. He would be like the, the villain. Like no one would like him. But times have changed. The way that we think about men and women has changed, and, and their culture has shifted So to where now certain things are definitely not appropriate, and so, some things are, and we're kind of navigating that change. But here's the thing. What Jesus said has remained the same. What Paul said has remained the same, that there is no difference between male, female, slave, free. There's no difference. All are equal. All are equal forgiven through Jesus' blood. Culture changes. It's going to continue to change. But what I can promise you from this church is that we have no need to change who God is. There might be different ways to communicate who he is, but he is a God who doesn't change. And I think this is what all of us want. We want that genuine belief that doesn't have to change, even when everything else around us does. Number two on your sheets, genuine belief doesn't change even when everything else around it does. And I think we all want that. Like if 50 years from now, look back at the principles you are standing on today, and you can say, yep, things changed all around me. People went all over the place, but I stood in a place that was genuine. Nothing changed it because it was right and it was good. And when it comes to faith in God, this is so, so important. There are times when we need to align our view of God to be more accurate. But when it comes to who God is, nothing ever changes. How do we get there? How do you know your belief is right? How do you know your creed is accurate? Now as we continue with Peter, he's going to focus on an event that happened. An event that Paul didn't talk about because Paul didn't see it. But it was only an event that Peter and a couple others got to see. Peter goes on. He says, for we, apostles, as, as we told you guys about Jesus, we did not follow cleverly devised stories. The Greek word for stories is mythos, myth. We didn't follow some cleverly devised myth or legend when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We didn't hear some story and then just pass it along to you. We experienced the majesty of Jesus Christ, and that's what we told you about. Now he's going to get into the details of what he experienced. Uh, He goes on, verse 17. He received, Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory. And as you read through this, this is a lot of big, puffy words. It's like, what does that mean? What does this mean? And I think that was Peter's point. He's trying to summarize what he experienced, but what he experienced could not be put into words. What I experienced, the voice came to him from this majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And with with that just one verse, Peter is recalling 
that day when he and, and James and John went with Jesus up on top of a mount, and there before their eyes, it's like Jesus just shed away everything to show them his glory as the Son of God. Um, the texts say that his clothes were white, whiter than bleach, a shade of white that we don't even have a word for, um, and that there was this glory that, that encompassed the place. Peter, he, he was witnessing all this happen, Jesus glowing, you know, and now there's Moses and Elijah show up, and they're talking to Jesus. I don't know how they knew it was Moses and Elijah, but maybe J- Jesus introduced them. Like, hey, this is Moses, here's Elijah, and they're shaking hands and stuff, and I don't know how it happened, but there was Moses, there was Elijah, together with Jesus, who's glowing, this radiant brightness. And Peter, he's fumbling for words and all this. He's like, uh, I like this place. I like this place. Can we stay here? Can I get some tents? We'll make three tents, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you, Jesus. And Peter was like, this is a place to stay. But then God the Father is like, you, you don't get it, Peter. This isn't a place for you to stay. This is an environment for me to tell you what you need to hear. This is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. He is fit to do what's about to happen. And sure enough, Jesus, and then they went down the mountain, and Jesus had his eyes on a different hill, just outside Jerusalem where he would die. Peter, in this moment, he says, that was the moment for me that it solidified it. I saw the glory of God, and I heard the voice from heaven validating who this, who this person was. And then he goes on, he's like, you know what, I know that sounds weird. You guys weren't there. I'm writing this, and it probably sounds like gibberish. All I'm doing is, verse 18, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. I'm just sharing with you what we heard and what we saw. But pay attention to what sealed the deal for Peter. What sealed the deal is what Jesus received. Peter believed because of what Jesus received. And we can get this so mixed up. First of all, Peter believed because Jesus received validation. He received honor. He received glory from God. He was an eyewitness of this. And Peter said, that seals it because of what Jesus received. I'm good. That was the purpose of the entire New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They wrote those accounts so that you could see what other people saw. And so that you, having seen, can also believe that Jesus really is the Son of God. But we twist this around so backwards, at least I do. The way we usually approach belief in God is that we say, God, I will believe in you if I receive something. Once you prove yourself to me, then I will believe in you. God, if you do this one thing, if you answer my prayer, if you make this thing happen, I will respond. I will believe. But That's not how belief works, and that's not how faith works. See, belief is not us responding to God. Belief is God stepping inside of us so that we can receive only what Jesus received, the validation from God himself. You are my son. You are my daughter with whom I'm well pleased through Jesus. That's who you are. Peter believed because of what Jesus received. And and Peter goes on. He says, I get it. I get it. I get it. You weren't there on the mount. Um, You weren't there to see the resurrection. There's something better than that. What could it be? He goes on. 
we also have the prophetic message as something made completely reliable. The prophetic message is basically everything written about Jesus before he was born. Um, so all the way from Genesis through all the prophets, uh, Peter is saying we have all this written material, what we know as the Old Testament, all this prophetic stuff. And he says now it's made completely reliable because everything that was written has now been uh, fulfilled. It's all happened. So there's no reason for us to go around and say, well, what is the purpose of this passage? Or what is this talking about? It all was talking and focusing about Jesus. So the message that they had was completely fulfilled. It's, it's even better than that. He said, you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Translation, if, if, your, faith, if your belief is in crisis mode and if you're being shaken with what you believe, You've got something good in the scriptures. These are the scriptures that are completely reliable, and they will focus you back, back, back to what you already know, that Jesus fulfilled it all for you. But Peter's like, it's even better than that. Above all, above all, uh, next verse, you must recognize, understand, that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. When it comes to Scripture, it's not like the prophet carried along this idea, and he's like, ah, oh, this sounds good, and I'll make it happen. Um, the word for uh, came about literally means to carry along, like push along. They're, they weren't pushing an agenda. They weren't carrying an idea. Rather, what happened was this, verse 21. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These prophets did not carry along their ideas. These prophets were being carried along by God the Holy Spirit so that what you have in your Bible is the record of God himself. His word for you. He says, look at it. Learn from it. If your belief is being shaken, here is your foundation where everything has been taken care of. And as, as Peter wraps this up, I just find this fascinating. As, as he writes this letter, again, he, this could be the last letter he ever writes, and yet he writes it to focus people all back to Jesus, all back to Jesus. It's almost as if he's saying, guys, I don't need anything special from you. And Peter's like, I don't need any special uh, songs written about me. And I think he'd be blown away that there, were, there are churches and church buildings named after him, like St. Peter, St. Paul. In fact, I think they have a competition going on in heaven. Well, who's got more names for each church, you know? And poor Thomas, like he's on the low end of that list. The guy got a bad rap. Maybe Bartholomew. I don't know if there's many of those either. But um, St. Matthew's would be pretty cool, though, if we're talking about church names sometime. It's better than St. Benjamin's because... He's not even a saint or an apostle, I don't think. Um, but Paul, Peter is just like, guys, it's not about remembering me or doing things for me. I will make sure so that long after I'm gone, you can still remember what I told you. So that when people hear the name apostle, or when they hear the name Peter or Paul, they will think of Jesus, not us. And one thing that Peter said couple slides ago, he said, you would do well to pay attention to this. What God give, gives you, you would, be, you would do well to pay attention to it. Um, he talked about it's, it's your light in a dark place. 
And just to summarize kind of what we've been talking about, you will go through dark places. I love this hour on Sunday mornings where we get to gather together. This is just an energy boost, a faith-building environment. I love it, I love it, I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. But Monday's coming, Tuesday's coming, Thursday's coming. And you know what? There will be darkness in your life this week. There will probably be times when your belief is shaken or challenged to its core. And the bad thing is we can't just live in this place 24-7. We have to go out. And what the Apostle Peter was getting at was, was simply this. Even though he wasn't there, the people could still remember. And even though we have to leave this place, we can still take that truth with us. Plant that truth in your heart. Memorize it in your mind. I don't know. Could you find like a statement, a creed, that you could remember and take with you wherever you go. Because here's the thing, number four on your sheet. For belief to be viable, the truth underlying it needs to be portable. It has to go with you wherever you go. And for that reason, you've got the Christian church from the earliest days putting into short, brief, concise form creeds that people could take with them wherever they went. A creed they would speak at their baptism to acknowledge the faith that God has called them to. And a creed that they could bring to mind any day of the week. For them to say, I believe in God the Father, Son, Spirit. For them to say that, that was their portable way to take the truth with them, to keep their belief alive. So the question, what do you believe? What do you believe? Whatever you believe in, there is power behind it. Because belief takes you from where you are to where you think you can end up. But your belief is only as powerful as whatever it is you believe in. It's a miracle that we can stand up and say, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. I believe in a God who's so big, he can create this entire universe, but so loving that he knows me by name. Come back next week for part two. We're going to learn more about what it means to say, I believe in that kind of God. God, my Father, the Almighty and the maker of heaven and earth. Let's close today with a prayer. Triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, you are holy. You are holy, holy, holy. You Your essence exceeds everything that we could possibly imagine on this side of heaven. And yet, you did not allow your holiness to be something that stopped you from coming to us. Through your love, you sent Jesus, our Savior, into this world. And though he was holy, he made his dwelling among us to redeem us from the sin and death which had us in chains. As we go through this series, there's going to be a lot of things, a lot of concepts that challenge our minds to try to understand who you are and and the kind of God you are. But I praise you today that you give us the ability to simply say, by the power of your spirit, I believe. 